Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Have you seen the 2021 My OT Journey Planner? This is Dr. Robin Axelrod. This planner is a must for OT students and practitioners. Check it out at myotjourney.com. Hello and welcome to the MyOT Journey podcast. My name is Alex Connolly, and today we have the pleasure of Dr. Fred Sammons on the line with us here. Dr. Fred Sammons grew up in Wattsburg, Pennsylvania and attended California State Teachers College in California, Pennsylvania, studying industrial arts. Uh, shortly later thereafter, he moved to a small town in West Virginia to teach mechanical drawing to high school students. After serving in the Korean War, he attended Richmond Professional Institute, which is now called Virginia Commonwealth University, and received his certificate in occupational therapy. He started his OT career after becoming employed as the chief director of OT at the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, and worked there for about five years doing prosthetics research. Uh, during this time, he also joined the staff at the amputee clinic in Northwestern University, and about 20 years later, received an honorary doctorate in 1983 from Western Michigan University to recognize the many contributions he has made to the field of occupational therapy. Dr. Sammons is the creator of the Button Aid, a self-care aid that, was, that we call adaptive equipment in the field that was and still is used today for self-care dressing tasks. Dr. Sammons created his own company called Button King Incorporated after showcasing the button aid at conferences like AOTA and seeing its utility and popularity. This product became mass produced and laid the framework for an entrepreneurial career in assistive technology and research and eventually evolved and developed over the years and is now called Performance Health. Over the years, Dr. Sammons has won numerous awards, advocated for the OT profession both internationally and domestically, and was recently named one of the top 100 influential people of occupational therapy by AOTA. He has also made numerous charitable donations to VCU and other universities and organizations. So without further ado, it is with great pleasure that I welcome Dr. Fred Samus to the show. It is an honor and a privilege to talk with you today, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. 93 years old. All right. That's quite an achievement in itself, sir. Well, I'm very happy and excited to have you on the show today. Um, so I'd like to just dive right in and kind of see how your OT journey began. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your youth growing up and, and what led you to study industrial arts and maybe if there are any um, notable moments about, um, you know, what kind of led you to start thinking about OT. Well, I grew up on a farm near Erie, Pennsylvania. And we had a John Deere tractor that had a hand clutch on it. So uh, when I was maybe seven or eight years old, I was started driving that tractor and uh, I, on the farm. So I learned to work with machinery and horses and, and tools. And uh, you learn a lot growing up as a farm kid. Um, I started college at a teacher's college in northern Pennsylvania, but it, first career was too hard, so I switched to industrial arts 
and uh, that was great. But I was with all of the veterans who are just coming back from the war, so I had to to um, manage among all of those. Uh, at California, Pennsylvania, I I had a great time. I loved industrial arts. It was being a shop teacher, and you were learning to teach high school kids lots of different uh, mechanical things. I I taught school, and then the army grabbed me. And uh, after that, I I had a GI Bill, so I could go back for a second career. At that time, the American Occupational Therapy Association was recruiting, actively recruiting, uh, a military um, uh, people who had um, uh, industrial arts background to become occupational therapists. So I started college at Virginia, at Richmond Professional Institute in Richmond, Virginia. So that's a brief start. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, that's kind of interesting. I had a similar background. Um, well, it's not similar background, but in, in the sense that um, I worked with my uncle and my stepdad who were both home contractors, and I was kind of exposed to, um, you know, home contracting and, and building with my hands and, you know, learning how to use tools and stuff like that. And I, I feel like that's kind of a, a really good experience to have for people that eventually end up in, in OT. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting. Also, I, I don't know much about, you know, what Richmond Professional Institute was like, you know, back in the day. I was wondering, um, you know, could you tell me a little bit about the, the process and what, what that was like to get a certificate and how long that took? Oh, yes. <laughs> You'll be surprised. It was a war emergency course, and Virginia um, Richmond Professional Institute was affiliated with William and Mary College, which is in Williamsburg, West, or Williamsburg, Virginia. But we were in Richmond, Virginia, and um, we would take some of our classes with the PT students at, at um, the uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, uh, and but it only took uh, two semesters to uh, um, uh, four semesters to get that uh, certificate, and so they went uh, went from a certificate in OT to an honorary doctor degree. <laughs> That's quite a quite a jump there. So was that about a, a two year program with four semesters? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. And I remember when we talked um, the other week, you mentioned that you um, had to do a, a fieldwork experience, or one of your first assignments was to work with Sheltering Arms Institute, which is um, still a company that's still around Richmond today that works with rehabilitation. So I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about that experience? Uh, it sounds like it was pretty interesting. Miss um, Missick, the director of our program, had been an Army occupational therapist so she loved to have um, uh, military in her classes and she sent me out to the sheltering arms to start doing occupational therapy with the, in this nursing home 
the lady the ladies board was making Christmas decorations, and I walked in and um, I wanted to start doing OT. <laughs> the ladies board said, "No, no, no, you're not going to do that." Well, I I just hung around and and uh, talked with the director, and today it's a wonderful. Uh, nursing home in Richmond, Virginia, but uh, sure was a. Uh, I'd only been in OT school for six weeks, so she, <laughs> she she sent me out there right away. It was it was quite a quite a opening opened my eyes. Yeah, that sounds like a, a fun first assignment there. Kind of you know getting into the, some of the mental health aspects and working with I guess uh, you know the elderly population. Um, as well, um, and I'm I'm actually excited to be um, doing a, a field experience later this fall at Sheltering's Arms Institute in the inpatient rehabilitation unit. Um, so I'm really excited about that. It's uh, probably changed a lot since since you were there, but um, that's re- that's really cool. Um, and so so after that, shortly thereafter, um, you went to the uh, Re- Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago and. You said you worked there for about five years um, doing prosthetics research. What was that like for you? Well, I was the first OT there, and there were three PTs at the Rehab Institute of Chicago. Um, Today they have 30 OTs on their uh, staff. So I was the pioneer, and my director um, was an experienced therapist who had gone to school in in St. Louis and came to Chicago. Uh, So we just started rehabilitation. We were the only rehab center in the city except Liberty Mutual, which only took care of their own Liberty Mutual um, persons that were getting insurance. So we had to start from scratch and uh, I, I knew how to make stuff, so I made quite a bit of this stuff, and we got other stuff and got going. Okay. And is that um, pretty close to the time when you started thinking about the, uh, the button aid and, and were able to create that? Oh, that's interesting. I, I discovered that I could, if my patient had a problem, I could analyze the problem and then I could visualize a solution. So this button hook was just some bent wire, which eventually got um, a wire would rust, and you get that on your white shirt, and you're spoiled your shirt. So it had to be stainless steel, and had to be nickel chromium, and and it had to be just the way it had to be. So I had to learn. I could have the idea, and then I had to make the product that was really durable and inexpensive and uh, served uh, many people, amputees and others. So I, I, I could just work with the patient and figure out a problem, a build-up handled spoon or a long shoehorn or a long comb. It just mm-hmm. wasn't much difficulty finding things to make. So I I was working as a therapist and I became the head of the department and uh, uh, so I I just 
kept inventing things in the basement of my house and bringing them in and trying them out on the patients. And then I began to make them and sell them out of my house to uh, therapists that were interested. So it, uh, the business just kind of was so natural. I, I never, never really, the starting point was a button hook, but then it branched into all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering about that. I haven't really learned too much about any other products. Are there any, like, any other big products that you've created since then or um, specialized in? Well, my catalog eventually had 2,500 items in it. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, I worked as a therapist and a research associate for 10 years uh, during that time, I was building stuff in my garage and basement and developing the business. I think in 1959, the uh, American Occupational Therapy ha ha were having their conference at the Morrison Hotel. And at that time, the local therapist did almost all of the work for the conference. So they asked me if I would sell the exhibits. And the exhibits were craft dealers who sold to the Boy Scouts and the uh, camping during the summer, and they sold to the occupational therapist during the winter. And so there were uh, five or six craft companies, and uh, I was... I just wrote out a check and, and showed my products at the OT conference. It was on a purple ditto that I ran on a, a ditto machine that I had and uh, began to <laughs> started the company going, but I was still working as a therapist. So it, it was a, a, a gradual start to the business. And then I, eventually I got a a businessman's attorney who would not let me manufacture anymore. I had to make the sample and and then farm it out to somebody else to be manufactured. Um, he, he insisted that I do the marketing and the inventing of the products and not spend any time uh, with the side of the business. So get get helpers to do the work. You you keep inventing and marketing so. That was a businessman's attorney who knew I yeah. shouldn't be. That's really, so, that's really interesting. I, know, I didn't know that fact about, you know, selling to the Boy Scouts of America, but it, it makes complete sense that you'd be creating, you know, useful tools that, you know, people can use for survival purposes and, and doing things like that. That's really interesting. I was just making what my patients needed. And they all needed a shoehorn and sometimes an adapted toothbrush or an adapted comb. And so, But at that time, the therapists made all that stuff themselves. So when I started making stuff for 2 or $3, man, they were happy that they didn't have to make it themselves anymore. Yeah. So... <laughs> I, I revolutionized occupational therapy because the therapist could could buy stuff already made that would, might take them five or six hours to do. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, you were definitely a pioneer in, in the whole, you know, assistive technology, adaptive equipment um, arena, and that's that's really, really cool. And it shows that it's, it's stood through the, the test of time. Our our class just recently in a, did a occupational synthesis and design class, and we had to use thermoplastics and a paper clip to create your button hook, actually. So that was kind of my first experience with, you know, trying to create something like that, but um, it was really, it was a really fun project. It was probably one of my favorite classes, actually. And I kind of, I love to try to build stuff with my hands and use all the different resources at my disposal to kind of create something that will, you know, be useful. I, I love the laboratory at Virginia Commonwealth University. There's one of the, one of the rooms is a salmon center, and it has the, the plastic uh, builder. The, uh, what do you call the machine that makes? Uh, uh, plastic things like the uh, the heater, the um, the the water bath sort of that that you can heat the thermoplastic in. No, no, that was splinting material. That's another story we can talk about. But the one that just you just program it and it makes. Uh, oh, um, the three uh, three D printing machine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So yeah. the and and. Your laboratory still has sewing machines, so OTs have to learn to sew and adapt things and, and has a tremendous woodworking uh, prog program in, in, in your... So most uh, therapists don't get to do woodworking anymore. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, really... I've um, you know, it's an awesome an awesome thing to have and a privilege to be a part of, to be able to use this lab. It's a, a brand new lab um, that obviously you, you contributed to and our students can use in the, uh, the new College of Health Professions building at VCU. And it's a very, very um, brand new building and filled with all sorts of tools and equipment that we can use. And, and you're right, we've, uh, through that class and some other classes, we got to use the sewing machines, we get to learn some, you know, things about stitching, we, we created a wheelchair bag, stuff on the back of wheelchairs, and, um, you know, a variety of other things like adaptive Velcro on pants and, and shirts and button hooks, and then 3D printing assignments, which is kind of some of the newer technology that's coming out, you know, a few projects to do with that, creating zipper pulls and, um, you know, we, uh, one of our projects, we created a, um, an adaptable universal um, cup holder to, to go onto our client's um, drive control module so that you'd be able to access his, um, his cup and then pull up to a table and kind of slide it out of the way as well. So we were really proud about being able to create something like that for a client. And honestly, some of the funnest projects I've been able to do, it's kind of like almost, almost like, uh, you know, playtime in a way, but you're doing it in a graduate program. So a lot of people would say, wow, is that really, you know, your program? But I'm really happy that this is part of the program. It, it makes it really fun. Well, you'll, you'll be doing lots of things in your career because occupational therapy is just going all kinds of places. Right today, we have people that um, survived coronavirus uh, um, and have a lingering um, health problems, and uh, they're exactly the kind of stuff that OTs need to get into. They they 
they put the PTs in there, and the PTs started working everybody too hard. The OTs would come in and work gently and and uh, solve personal problems. So they're called long haulers, and we we were hoping that we can get in to help some of those people in occupational therapy. Yeah, you're you're definitely right. There's that's one of the things I love about occupational therapy is how many different subspecialties there are and how many different ways you can get involved with OT and and how all those areas are also growing. You know, there's new niches being created in universal design or you know even like uh, preventive healthcare or you know PC, you know getting involved with PCPs and. Um, the, the assistive technology thing is is big because of you know the advances that we've had in technology and um, one thing I, I was kind of curious about there's a have you heard of Elon Musk's uh, new um, technology called Neuralink? No. Okay, it's uh, something that I just learned about and it's it's basically like an interface that um, he's doing research on right now with pigs and it has uh, threads. Um, that can go into the brain and basically attach to neurons and stimulate various parts of the brain. So the, the application um, that it can it can work to treat on all sorts of a range of diagnoses from you know mental health to you know um, stroke effects, um, all sorts of things. So I kind of foresee that being something that would eventually um, become a part of. Uh, a role that an occupational therapist could play with in the recovery and maybe using technology like that as it you know becomes more widespread and, and acceptable. I was just kind of wondering what your what your thoughts on you know the the uh, fast advances with technology these, these days and how you felt about that you know kind of starting out at the beginning of assistive technology and seeing the whole kind of evolution of technology. I was just wondering kind of what what, what were your thoughts on that? Well uh, one of the products that came along was a material, um, a, a plastic formulation uh, uh, that you could dip into water at 150 degrees and it became soft and moldable. When you brought it out and it cooled off, it became rigid again. When you went back in the water, it would get soft again and when you come back out, it would harden up again. So. We were able to, when that material came out in a one-eighth inch thickness, we were able to be able to cut a pattern for a stroke patient's hand that was uh, clutched tight uh, or uh, um, make a, a platform splint uh, uh, for that person. If it was made by an orthotist uh, who made artificial limbs, um, it might cost $300. The occupational therapist could make it in 20 minutes and and would charge uh, $7 for it, plus the cost of the material. So um, occupational therapists became splint makers uh, of all kinds of shapes. And we we spent we we made millions and millions of splints. Uh, with the splinting material for people that needed uh, support or a resting splint or anything, so it was it was it was an interesting thing. And then Velcro came along, 
And Velcro is a combination of two your words. One means velvet and the other means crochet hook. And so that's the two parts of Velcro. It came along and man, that made a, a history because OTs could adapt it on clothing and splints and do lots of different stuff uh, around the house or around the, around the, around the farm. Yeah. So those are uh, uh, that product was so so um, important to occupational therapy, uh, and it, it's not so much anymore. Um, but they still need to know how to uh, make orthoses. Right. Yeah. No. I I think uh, yeah. You were right at that time. That was a revolutionary product, and I mean, it still has many applications today. Um, you know, we're we're still using it in our labs. It's a very handy handy tool. And then, you know, with the thermoplastics, I, I think I read somewhere that that was created. Um, the material was kind of a, um, a development from the golf ball, and like the material that was used for that. Um, are you familiar with that story? Well, it, it's. Um, uh, it's got a long name, but it is uh, formulated um, from to those materials to soften at a, a moderate temperature and harden at room temperature. So those that was what made the difference. It didn't. Chemists are always doing stuff, but when they got got it, and then a guy up and in Milwaukee, uh, John Clark at Rowlian uh, started selling the material and other people sold it. So it, mm-hmm. it really, really changed the uh, uh, field of occupational therapy when it came along. Yeah, and that's actually my other hand, um, my other placement this summer is going to be uh, a hand therapy or hand management clinic placement. So I'll be getting my fair share of making splints and learning how to really use that product as well. So that should be interesting. Uh, hand therapy started uh, during my career and uh, it was uh, 90% OT and 10% PT. And uh, they have their own organization. They meet when the doctors, the hand the, the bone doctors are orthopedists and the, 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 the nerve and skin doctors are another branch, but they meet with the doctors. And uh, so hand therapy is full of elderly OTs because they have made the test so hard that you really have to work, work, work to get become a, a hand therapist anymore. But uh, I guess when they die off, they'll, they'll get some replacements. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard uh, that the pass rate right now is around like 60, 65% or something like that. So, you know, if I end up going down that route, I'll definitely have my work cut out for me. But I've always liked a good challenge, and you know, I think that it's a very interesting field that you know, they get really knowledgeable with anatomy and a lot of different diagnoses too. Oh, it's fantastic! But I I tried to do some conferences with them 
and they told me I had to use a registered hand therapist. I couldn't use the staff that I had. So I, I finished that conference and, and ignored them for about five years. And they said, how come you're not uh, helping the hand therapist? And I said, well, it, you didn't seem to want my help. And so I, I thought I'd just let you, let you get along without my help. When they, <laughs> oh, we didn't understand that. Oh, we didn't mean to be mean to you. <laughs> yeah. <I'm sorry. laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's interesting. I never knew that, you know, um, occupational therapists were such a, a leading profession with a, a certified hand therapist. I thought it was more like PT for some reason because it's like more medically based, I thought. But uh, that, that's interesting to know. And early on, early on with the, the OTs with the people that had the splinting material. So I think that's how they got in there and they did it. And uh, eventually, it was 10% PT, but I don't know what it is now. I, okay. I, uh, I kind of lost track. Yeah. Well, um, I was kind of wondering also, I, I read online that you went over to Japan to kind of, you know, get your company started. And I was just wondering, like, how long you were over there for and what that experience was like. Could you talk about a little bit about that? Uh, yes, I... I I met a man who was uh, selling medical products, uh, rehabilitation products in Japan, and he said, I want to buy directly from the manufacturer, which is Fred Salmon's, rather than the company in Los Angeles that just sells your products. Mm -hmm. So I went to a Rotary conference, and I met Mr. Ito, and he was all... Uh, interested in my products. One of the first things that we discovered that, is that Americans are like the size of sumo wrestlers and the Japanese people are, are like uh, the size of 14-year-old girls. And so most of my products are oversized and they're culturally very different. They eat with chopsticks and, and uh, so they, I, I went, I visited OT departments, and I thought, "Wow, this is like I when I started OT 20 years ago." But I love going to Japan, and I love Mr. Ito, and we would go to conferences, and and uh, I just I went there for 20 years, and we, my wife and I, got so we could just get on the train and go anywhere in Japan for on a you'd buy a rail pass and just travel all over so <laughs> we went all over japan and you just get off the train and find a place to sleep and they had uh, artificial food so you just pointed at the food you wanted and and they would serve it for you so it was it was a great uh, company the country to visit uh, and we had a lot of fun wow that sounds like a really interesting experience I uh, I grew up in Vienna, Austria, with my parents when they were working over there, and that kind of planted the seed in me to have a, a taste for the international, you know, experience. Um, so I can only imagine what that was like. I, I've always really appreciated Japan as a a country and a culture. I'd like to get over there someday. Um, did you Did you live anywhere else um, over the years? Well, it was 
I had a I had a friend, uh, Mr. Blotter, who was Swiss, and he had a distribution, medical distribution, in in Switzerland, and so he uh, distributed my catalogs to them, and they sent the catalogs back saying, "We don't like these products. We we have our own way of doing occupational therapy, and please don't even bother." Uh, uh, sending us these catalogs. So um, it, it was kind of hard for people to go to Europe and uh, do stuff. But if you went to Australia or Africa, they were always eager to learn about occupational therapy and splinting materials and Velcro and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, but there were every year, every four years, they would have. Uh, a world conference, and uh, I went to 15 of those uh, with a four-inch interval between. So (laughs) I I went all over the world for the uh, World Federation of Occupational Therapy. They now have 70 countries who belong to the World Federation of Occupational Therapy. And uh, the world OT, world of OT is just, getting better all the time. So that's an exciting thing for some of you to think about in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've definitely contemplated, you know, Travel OT and, you know, all these organizations like AOTA and the WFO2 where, you know, we learn about them in our classes and stuff. And definitely um, I'm considering, you know, becoming involved in some way to kind of advocate for it because I feel like occupational therapy is so so needed. I mean, you know, from, I feel like everybody could benefit from some some form of therapy, honestly. Um, it's very inherent to what, who, like, who we are as, as people and just being able to improve our performance and function, you know? Yes, yes, yes. You, you, you need to meet their cultural needs and, and um, you, you can't go in as a big boss with uh, your fingers under your suspenders bragging about how good you are. You have to go in and try to figure out how to fit in. So, but it's, it's rewarding. Uh, I helped an OT in Africa. Um, so she went to the, uh, Tanzania and Kenya and Ghana and, and, um, at the OT conference that we just had in Johannesburg, uh, um, South Africa, she had her had 30 therapists that prevented, presented papers um, uh, because she had been tutoring them for five years yeah, about research and about uh, stuff. So uh, she said <laughs> that was just amazing that. She got all of those interested in research and and writing uh, about uh, OT uh, in uh, in Africa. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, definitely, you know, spreading the word about OT. It's it's funny because you know I talk to people about occupational therapy today. You know, a lot of people don't know what OT is unless they've you know been injured themselves or you know, had a, a family or uh, a relative that, you know, has been injured or they're in the healthcare field themselves. So definitely important to get that word out there because I feel like OTs can help in so many different areas of life. Um, uh, we keep yeah. trying. 
<laughs> yeah, and also meeting meeting clients and, and people in different cultures, kind of where they are with you know a respectful approach. You know, considering that cont contextual approach, you know, we've learned that in in our various classes about you know I think there's um, I'm probably going to get the name wrong, but I believe her name was Schultz uh, or Schultz, uh, who's a, an advocate for the Canadian or the the client-centered approach. You know, kind of not not coming into the relationship as a, an authoritarian, but more of like a, an equal partner. You know, trying to help um, teach the other person in a very respectful and, and understanding way. Um, but I was kind of curious, I know we've talked about adaptive equipment and assistive technology. I was just wondering, some people that are listening to this might not actually know what that means. I was just wondering, what, what is your definition of assistive technology? Well, it's very broad. Um, early on, there were people who were doing electronic and computer stuff, and they considered my technology as low a low grade, uh, low importance compared to the computer stuff and uh, that fancy stuff. So, um, actually, um, they they've they've split off into the um, assistive technology association, uh, and OT has kind of lost that side of the business. Um, it just evolved that way, and I don't know that we'll ever get back to what we were before, but um, we we weren't the only person doing all of that electronic and all of that uh, computer stuff. So we weren't the leaders there. We were kind of following along and, and trying to keep up with what was going on um, today. It's um, I I just have lost track of the, the that side of the occupational therapy. I just I I was on the physical therapy type side, and, and uh, so mm -hmm. I, I, it's 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 doubled up. Okay, so in terms of people, you know, students that are considering getting into assistive technology or maybe becoming an entrepreneur themselves. Um, do you have any sort of advice of, you know, how to kind of pursue that at this point um, in, in, in the world? Um, I think it, it's just the, the path you're walking down. Uh, if there's an opportunity and you happen to walk down it and you you got people that want what you want, then then you're lucky. Um, it used to be that OTs could get into private practice. Um, PTs, all PTs got into private practice. Then the big companies came around and bought the PT practices and, and got into big uh, um, agencies. Um, the it's harder now for an occupational therapist to become a private entrepreneur uh, than it was in the past. Um, I don't. I, I guess you gotta. You gotta keep up with the uh, with the modern medicine and modern way of paying and the modern way of billing and all of that. So 
I, I can't, can't tell you what it's like today because I'm not out there uh, scratching around looking for business. I, I'm sitting back spending my money. <laughs> hey, I don't blame you at all. So, so what, I'm, what I'm hearing from you, though, is that kind of sounds like your general advice would be to kind of follow your, your heart, follow your passion, and, and try to network with other people that might have, you know, share the same vision as you do. That's, I, uh, one, of my, one of my criteria was that the product I'm making is something that you must have to cut your food or to comb your hair or to brush your teeth. Uh, if you must have it when you're disabled, then it was a good chance you'd buy it and use it until you didn't need it anymore. Uh, you could outgrow the, the, the product, but if it was helpful for you for a period of time, boy, it was really helpful. So that so that I didn't make any recreation stuff. I didn't make any uh, stuff for recreation for years and years. Even then, just a playing card holder to hold your playing cards because you can't hold them in your stroke hand. Uh, so I, I must have, find something that people really need, uh, fill a need, um, be honest, be truthful, brave, clean, and reverent, I guess. <laughs> Uh, those, are, those are great pearls of wisdom, as, as we talked about earlier. Um, I know we, you've given us a lot of uh, good good advice and a lot of information. Do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about or any, any last little pearls of wisdom that you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh, uh, no, uh, just, just um, be proud that you're an occupational therapist and... Uh, be the best you can be. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a, a really great time for me, and I am very proud to be a budding occupational therapist. I'm really excited about the future here. Um, I want to thank you for your service to this country and for the, the overall world in general. I think you've done a lot to help other people out, and you know, with all your innovations and creativity, um, I just want to thank you for all of that. So. Uh, thank you again for your time today, Dr. Sammons, and uh, I wish you uh, a very pleasant rest of your life. All right. Thank you very much. I'm humbled by that. Thank you. Right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media on Facebook at MyOTJourney, and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!